Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to take one final look at USC's loss in South Bend to Notre Dame. Look forward to homecoming with Arizona. Answer a lot of your questions. And when I mean a lot, there are a lot of questions. You guys called in record numbers, emails, texts. It's all over it. So we're going to do our best to get through all of them and talk about all the things that you guys are interested in. Who's going to do that? I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, like we said, but I got Keely, your in studio, does a great job for reporting on the Trojans for us here at uscfootball.com. Hello, Keely. Hello, hello. What's going on? Nothing much. Glad to be back in the studio. Nice. Very talkative today, Keely is. All right. <laughs> we just want to get into it. We got of course. <laughs> We got Dan Weber on the line also. Been reporting with on uh, covering the Trojans since the early 2000s. What's up, Dan? Hey, uh, another uh, another week, another go round. Let's see what happens this week. Uh, three and three. Who knows which way they go? Uh, they probably got to win six or seven in a row to uh, uh, you know survive and uh, intact. In, in uh, I think going forward, but uh, we'll see. Obviously, uh, with the game we just saw. They play that game uh, and get a little better. Uh, they probably couldn't. They could easily win all those games. Uh, but if you think they're going to do that, I don't know. You know, yeah. you probably picked them to go ten and two. And uh, <laughs> you know, your prediction is now done, Dan. We know they officially they will bad. not go ten yeah. and two. True. Yeah, right. and and I I just don't want to give in and say, well, they're they're good enough to do that. Now I look back and say, heck, I picked them to lose to Washington. They shouldn't have lost to Washington. Come on. Yeah. And then you can come out of there and say, you know, Notre Dame played like Notre Dame's supposed to play. They were happy with how they played. They're tough. They're physical. They're well-coached. They were at home. They had a fired-up crowd pushing them on. They had Pac-12 officials. Hell, what can you ask more than that? And USC probably wins again. If USC plays as close to its potential as Notre Dame did to its, USC walks out of there a winner. That's what is getting to be frustrating. They could, you know, the whole could have, should have, would have. But, uh, you know, Notre Dame does what Notre Dame does. USC sometimes does what USC does. And then they do the other part of what USC does. And that's why they are 0-3 on the road this year. Was uh, listening to our, our friends over at the Rain of Troy podcast, and I did some interesting stuff. They, I mean, they get into, like, the Bill Connolly, like, SP plus numbers. I don't really... So I don't get right. into all that stuff and stuff, but it was interesting. And I think, so the point that they were making, and I think it was coming from Bill Connolly is that the first 20 minutes of the game, USC dominated and was up three, nothing. And then the next 10 yeah. minutes, Notre Dame dominated and scored 17 points and then three more. So when USC had the upper hand, they just weren't able to capitalize. And when Notre Dame did, they maximized their opportunities. I'm like, yeah, I think that's, that. That's the way this this is the way this went, you know. I mean, to be down twenty to three and fight back and everything was, I mean, it was good effort by USC. But there were way there was too many opportunities early in the game uh, that they just didn't capitalize on. 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is, again, I mean, we'll say this a million times and everybody's going to shake their head, but it's a reflection of how they practice. If you can practice where there are no consequences to maybe not playing hard on every play. I mean, you know, a lot of times you'll hear the USC coaches saying, 10 guys did it right, one guy did it wrong. Or the players are even, you know, talking about that. That's why this team, you know, can run the ball here, run the ball there, and then when they really have to run the ball, they can't run the ball. Or whatever. I mean, they're, they're, the little execution things. Uh, you know, I had a chance for Ben Griffiths. They had one of the, you know, great days a punter's ever had, and none of his, none of the cover team could locate the football. It was like they were wearing blindfolds. I mean, they're running in different directions, and uh, here's the ball, ready. I mean, in the spring, they did that almost every day, and you know, they were catching the ball and downing it. Everybody, and I guess they haven't done it. Now that we've seen it, haven't really done that almost at all in the fall and you know you probably got to practice stuff like that but you know and then unfortunately for usc the one time they do pin their name down at the three they give up a 97 yard touchdown drive i mean it's like it's kind of maddening to watch this team uh with the opportunities it has not have the ability as you said with notre dame where they just punch it in punch it in punch it in uh again i think that's almost totally a reflection of how they practice and yeah. how how demanding practice has to be and how hard you have to get it right every player every play and i don't think we ever see that happening and you see what when you get up against a good opponent on the road you got to you got to be there on every play and usc is not and uh you know 30 27 unfortunately that's the result yeah um, well, Dan, if you think you're frustrated, where do we get to some of these questions? <laughs> yes. Keely? Well, do you have any quick thoughts, Keely, before we, uh, jump I mean, in? to Dan's point, I am always on the sideline and, and in, in the goal line for games. And I was just really impressed by Notre Dame's ability from the first quarter to the last play of the fourth. They hit hard every single play. They knew what they were doing. They knew their assignments. And if you look back on the broadcast, that's essentially what Brian Kelly says. Like, you need 100% every single play. And that's what they did. And with USC, particularly in their defense, you could tell that the fundamentals started to break down once they got tired, once they had to come up with critical stops. And so, I mean, it's just I have to go back with Dan about practice. It's it's when you're put in those tough positions – what you do comes out, and if you're not doing it on a consistent basis, you just can't expect your players to do that. So I, it's it's always been about practice, and I think it still comes back to that. What? Well, and the frustrating thing is you're, you're playing a number nine team in front of their fans, and they're all fired up, and they're playing exactly the way they're supposed to play. And they have to go into the victory formation to hold up, you know, and they got to have their coach on the field on their final onside kick and go into a victory formation just to win the game by three points. I mean, think about that. That USC, what if they, you know, what if USC would have been the team that would have been basically exactly who they could be and Notre Dame wouldn't have shown up? I mean, it's frustrating because this is where a game like that shows you why. USC has more four and five star players than Notre Dame does, but Notre Dame makes do with, uh, you know, I mean, who's a better quarterback in some way? If you just had to do the measurables, uh, Keaton Slovis over Ian Book, but Ian Book, you know, has this drive and he's got the ability to run the ball and Notre Dame had the ability to know exactly when to use his ability to run the ball. 
and, and take advantage of USC's inability to tackle and inability to get in the right, uh, you know, get the right pursuit angles and all the, all the kind of things that they did. And that still only produced a three point win for Notre Dame, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, we got to jump into these questions before we do, you got homecoming coming up and our sponsor Trader Joe's can certainly help you with homecoming. You got to go. It's a six 30 game. It's on the Pac-12 Network, so you, you should go because you probably can't watch it at home. Um, head over to USC. <laughs> make sure you go to the USC Village. Check out Trader Joe's. I would challenge you. Just you know, bring a couple of those Trader Joe's USC bags that you got from us before. Go in there. And whatever you need for the tailgate, just go into Trader Joe's. Pick it all up, and boom, you're done. You don't have to bring anything. You walk it over to campus. You put your little blanket down on some grass and have some fun. And uh, I think you can you know enjoy the homecoming festivities. Now it might be hard to find a piece of grass because it is homecoming. There's a lot of stuff going on, but get your stuff, go over there. You have your nice tailgate and you can get some nice beer, wine, cheeses, all kinds of snacks. I started eating, which is a little bit addicting. Those pretzels uh, filled with uh, peanut butter. Those are pretty darn good. So I would recommend those. Those are addicting. Yeah. Those are like, you gotta watch out. I keep popping them. I come home, pop a few more in there. So that's what I pick up. But definitely go over to Trader Joe's. Check it out for homecoming. That's the place to be. So that I think that's changed the way you can tailgate at USC, having a Trader Joe's uh, right across the street. So hope you guys go and check it out. And uh, Keely, I, I don't know. Do we? Let's maybe we should talk like kind of game stuff first because there's a lot of big picture stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of we got to navigate this because there's a lot of topics. So let's start off with the the game stuff and then go bigger picture. So let's start off with a question from Bruce. He says, Marquise Steph is a good running back, but he is, but has he caught a pass this season? I believe one of the running back's responsibilities in Harold's offense is being a safety outlet for the quarterback. Carr has great hands and so does Vavai, so I think they are both needed. Steph does get more yards when the offensive line has not opened any holes, but do you think Steph will make it through the season if he has to run through a brick wall every time he carries the ball? I think all three backs bring something a little different to the table. When will Mr. Drevno get the offensive line to help up, help out in the run game? Bruce. Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing, uh, you know, a decent enough job on the offensive line. I, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're protecting the quarterback decently. I mean, it's not spectacularly uh, well, but I thought, you know, against that, that Notre Dame defense, I thought that was a pretty good effort. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, now without with Vi uh, out with surgery, uh, uh, Marquise has got no choice but to catch the ball. USC's got no choice but to throw it to him. I mean, it was surprising. He carried it ten times for eighty-two yards. But after the game, Graham Harrell kind of let out that he, you know, he said something about it looked like he was sucking wind there. <laughs> for, and then I think he realized, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, uh, and, and said, well, he's going to get more carries. But it was like. No, there was there was no reason for us to be you know running him more than that because that's about all he would seem to be able to handle. I don't. I, I wish USC's coaches didn't coach out of a sense of kind of fear of oh is he going to be able he's going to drop the ball is he going to be able to catch it is he going to be able to pick up pass protection is he going to be in in a good enough shape I mean my thing my thought right now is he better be in good enough shape to run the ball more than 10 times. The Notre Dame kid, Tony Jones, ran it 25 times. I mean, you know, I mean, what if USC had a real a legitimate power running attack to go with, with a passing attack? And Notre Dame got a power running attack, but they don't necessarily 
has the ability to throw the ball down the field. And USC does. I'm just thinking that alone, if, going into the second half of the season, if USC was able to really become uh, a power running team, there's no reason. I mean, that offensive line, they're athletic enough. It, they've got to commit to it. They've got to believe in it. And if, if you do, uh, and, and if you run Marquise, I mean, he ran 8.2 yards of carry. If you got a guy running 8.2 yards of carry, the defense has to come up to try to stop the run. And then you set up uh, the deep ball. You set up a lot of things in the passing game. So, you know, I don't think it's, you know, it's not rocket science. I mean, they might be better off going back to, you know, what they did, uh, you know, in the past where they said they wanted to be able to make you defend the run and then throw it, throw it over you. But uh, that may not be a bad way to go if you want to try to win the last six games. So. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you looked at when they had success, uh, throwing the ball, what happened before that was that they had success running the ball. You had to have Notre Dame had to respect the run game in order to open up things up. And it just doesn't seem like they're willing to commit to the run. And Dan, you talked about how they're not consistent enough where they'll do one run and then kind of shy away from it. Yeah. I mean, they have that bad first down play or something. Now you got second and 10 and now you got to kind of throw the ball. And you know, that, that's just that uh, intensity that you just get play after play after play. Right. And, uh, that's just that's how they got to do it. I, mean, I think you know, you got to be in the, of the mindset that, oh, you're going to drop eight on us? Okay, great. We're going to run it right down your throat. Great. Thank you. Here we come. It's just that's that attitude. I don't quite see that they're there yet. You know, that sense of whatever you do, we've got something to, you know, counter that. And we're looking for you to do either one because we're going to come after you. And, I still, I mean, because they were so tentative, for example, I thought to some extent uh, in turning the offense loose the first half where they had things kind of going their way, but they still weren't maybe uh, as aggressive and, and, and running as much tempo. And Graham Harrell admitted it, uh, you know, that at halftime he realized he wanted to, he needed to speed things up. And he literally sped things up by getting the play calls in quicker. You know, well, I thought that was almost, an absolute requisite for this offense that the play calls would come fast. But the second half they did, and you saw how much better that, you know, he said it works two ways. One, it keeps USC from worrying about if they, if something went wrong in the play before the second part, it doesn't give the other team, you know, time to really get ready, get set on defense. I think both of those are in USC's favor. And one would hope that that also would start happening where you'd see more uh, tempo on offense. Yeah. Let's go to a question from Paul in Orlando. He says, hello, Ryan, Dan, and Keeley. Love your show and listen all the time. Add a couple comments and a question. First, I felt Keaton Slovis in the offense played well after the first quarter. And given that Keaton hadn't played for nearly a month, I thought he was very good. Marquise is amazing in the way that he breaks tackles. Even Ben Griffiths, Keeley's favorite. I'm not sure about that, but okay. Had some great punts. Defense, I thought, especially the DBs in the D-line were very good. My concern and question is where and why are the teams running over all running all over the defense, especially on the edge. Is it the linebackers? P.S. With the right coaching staff, the outcome is different, I am sure. We should be 6-0 and with our talented and hard-playing team. Thanks and fight on, Paul in Orlando. Well, I mean, I think it's tough uh, now that they've gone to the four, uh, four-man front and you see those guys, uh, the two ends, have the option of standing up or, or, or getting a hand on the ground and you've got two linebackers. Okay, so 
the coverage at the edge isn't exactly great if, if the, the, the defensive ends are coming down and protecting off tackle or they're in kind of in pass rush mode. Uh, you have a, 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 it just looks like, so then you've got the corners basically who have to support the run on the edge. I think uh, some of it is schematic. Some of it was uh, poor, you know, Christian Rector trying to play on that, that uh, high ankle sprain that, that it just isn't healing really fast. And Notre Dame is so good at isolating him and putting him in this, you know, situations uh, where he's got to make an open field tackle against one of their speed backs. And that's just not tenable. I mean, you can't, you can't be in that situation. So whatever it was USC did schematically and whatever it was Notre Dame did to get USC overloaded to one side and reacting and then, and then coming back and nobody at USC seemed to react to it. Uh, I just think they're in a tough, the way they line up on defense, it makes it really tough to cover the edge. You, you know, you got two, two middle line inside linebackers. You're going to get one of them over there or, you know, you line, you can line one of them up wide, but still Notre Dame, you know, can make you react one way and come back the other way. Uh, teams are smart and they know where USC is vulnerable. And uh, the secondary is they came out of the game with a lot of bumps and bruises because they were coming up and making a lot of tackles. And uh, that's a tough deal, I think, with a young secondary uh, to ask them to make uh, make plays on the edge all the time. So they got to figure something out because people see all the, see the films and they're going to go there again and again. We have a question from Jared who says, I'm not big on in-game questions, but I have to ask because it's been bugging me for almost a season and a half. Why does Christian Rector play defensive end? He appears to lack the lateral quickness necessary to keep contained even on average D1 skill position players. He's an in-betweener, too small to play defensive tackle, and too slow to play defensive end. Maybe you could rotate him as a third down interior pass rusher. Was wondering your guys' thoughts. Thanks for all the work you do and bringing us the latest information, Jared. Yeah, he is kind of an in-betweener. I don't think there's any doubt. And now with this, uh, again, slow healing ankle sprain, uh, uh, high ankle sprain, it's, uh, it puts him in a vulnerable position, especially when he's isolated. I mean, I just think that's a, that's a very difficult place for, for him to be. And, uh, I'm not sure what adjustments they, they don't look like they've made any adjustments though. I think that's kind of, uh, unnerving, uh, you know, when Notre Dame, for example, knows they need to, come up with something they come up with that 51 yard reverse uh for a touchdown where you know i'm you if you if if christian would have had a a baseball bat he couldn't have done any good he would need a gun he would have needed a gun to stop that guy because there was this he wasn't going to get anywhere near near that kid and the farther they ran the farther behind he got and that was and then there's no other usc player in the picture i mean it just uh um Yes, he got to do something. Uh, you know, you got Khalil Tate this week, uh, and uh, he better be able to tackle uh, quick, athletic, especially quarterbacks. And uh, and that again, I think, is a reflection of practice because it makes the USC uh, defenders, I think, a little tentative because they know that they don't do that full speed uh, in practice, and so they become a little hesitant to try to, you know, not maybe always go all out and try to, you know, get in the, where they think that, you know, the running back's going to go with the ball. And, you know, they're just, you know, that, that hesitation, I think, really, really, really hurts them. And then the ability to finish. So you're playing against a kid like that, you know, either Brooke or Jones, 
you know, they're not going to go down with just a grip. I mean, uh, poor Christian, I think a couple of times where he got his arm or he got his hand on, uh, you know, the running back and the guy just kept running and he ended up on the ground and, um, uh, got to figure something out. But right now we haven't seen any, uh, anything about that. And we ask about it, but, uh, we don't, we don't hear any answers. I think the predicament too they have with Rector is that he's not a hundred percent, but I don't think right. that they trust a Connor Murphy or a Caleb Tremblay to fully replace him there. So I think they're they're kind of in a catch twenty two where you want Rector out there because he's the guy in the depth chart to be that guy, but he's also not healthy. So and I keep asking like, at what point are you not getting enough from Rector where you need to put someone else in? And they're kind of coy about it, obviously, but I just think they're in a predicament there where you're not really playing with even Rector at a hundred percent. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lack of trust, uh, and that was one of the I know fatal flaws with last year's team was the uh, coaches didn't trust the players. I'm not sure the players trust the coaches. Nobody trusted anybody. It looked like uh, as that thing you know went to pieces uh, in the second half of the season. I think I don't think you can play football at a winning level at the top, you know, against good people without trusting your teammates to be there and. Where you build that trust? Uh-oh. Practice. And that just doesn't seem to be happening. Uh, this team, I think, has a better attitude about it. Uh, I don't know if they'll kind of go to their separate corners like last year's team did. Uh, and, and, you know, whether you like it or not, Clay's not wrong in terms of they still have a really good opportunity, but they have no margin for error. And again, if you don't change how you practice, I'm not sure why you would expect uh, a difference in the results. I'm just, I, I don't, I think you've got to change what they're doing, but yeah. will they? They pride themselves on not changing. Right. On sticking We're going to stick plan. with our plan. Yeah. It's funny. It's used so much <laughs> lately, but the, you know, and people get it wrong all the time. But, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But it does, I mean, it applies because you're, if you want to be better, you got to practice better. And for whatever reason, they're just like, nope, we made a decision to practice this way and going forward doing it. So, um, but yeah, what are the, we'll play a voicemail for you here. Our but okay, our buddy Curtis Marino Valley called, I think, five times since Sunday morning and called like two or three times before that. See, we joke about this being free therapy, but I think Curtis really takes it seriously. Curtis, yeah. I think Curtis wants me to answer the phone when this is going on. It's going right to voicemail, Curtis. We love you, uh, but I can't play five voicemails every show. So we'll play one of them. But it, this was an interesting point about, you know, what was the biggest issue USC going on the road, turning the ball over? Well, didn't turn the ball over this time, but still lost. But I'll play this for you and get your thoughts, Dan. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Hey, no turnovers against Notre Dame. Great job. Uh, hope we can do that the rest of the season. Uh, this was the best team on our schedule, and they barely beat us. They were afraid. Two deep safeties, 20 yards back the whole game. With all their talent, they still had to do that. We're forcing people to do what they don't want to do, and you can run on it. Uh, now, since Malapai's out, we're going to have to introduce the fastest player in California 100-meter history at tailback every now and then. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Yeah, I mean, his name was mentioned for the kind of without 
anybody asking that question. They mentioned Keenan Christian after the game. I, I, I'm, I guarantee you they've had a plan that, oh, we're going to play him four games uh, and save his red shirt. I just think, you know, if, if a kid – I don't know how many of those kids are going five years now anyway. Uh, I just think if there's a place for him, and there has been, uh, you know, outlet passes. And, I mean, USC could have maybe the fastest player on the field virtually every game. Uh, I would have thought that there were ways you could get him in the game, sneak him in the game. Uh, you know, there are times if you give him an outlet pass and the defense is just a little bit tilted one way, he might beat everybody down the sideline. I mean, just a free touchdown if if that could happen. But uh, we just don't see uh, see the ability to be you know that kind of you know. Let's get him out there and see what he can do. Uh, I will. I, I would guess you will see him out there. Uh, some going now. I mean, they're committed. They've got to get him. I mean, Clay said you know he loves that four four game red shirt rule. So he'll be out there. It's just a matter of when, you know, if you say, well, we'll wait till the last four games. I just think you get him out there and see what happens at this point. He, he's a tough kid. He's shocked. I mean, the first thing everybody was shocked about was he's physical. He'll put his head in there. He'll bust it up inside. He's not afraid. He's not like a track star who's also playing football. He's a football player. So, uh, uh, I think that could be, you know, the opportunity for them to, you know, figure out something else they can do on offense. But, uh, but I would be, I would really be disappointed if he's not on the field uh, this weekend. We have an email from Michael from Newport who says, has anyone asked USC if they filed a complaint for coach Kelly being on the field or the phantom roughing the passer call that led to the game deciding three point score for the Irish or has the PAC 12 come out with any statement on how the officiating impacted the game? Overall, it's hard to complain that officiating caused USC to lose the game. However, it is weird that one the one game that one game when Mothershed officiates a game, USC is penalized in double digits, and another only twice. Did Keeley or Shotgun catch anything from the sidelines that could explain this? Thanks and fight on, Michael from Newport. No, not really. Well, <laughs> Can't explain yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, at least Clay, you know, did jump on it and 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 got really upset, and uh, you could tell the look on the face of the, uh, the officials. Or uh, I could, you couldn't tell if it was. What are you talking about? We have no idea. We were watching the ball, or what? I, you know, even if you were watching the ball, Kelly was lined up. If if that the guy who catches the the tight end who catches the onside kick, if he would have keeled over, Kelly would have gotten the ball on the next bounce. That would have been Kelly's uh, recovery. So you missed that. How is that even remotely possible? And I thought that qualified for the kind of transparency that the Pac-12 is bragging about that they've had to use twice uh, in road games <coughs> where their officials didn't perform. And uh, I thought this would have been another one where, where they said they should have said, we didn't see it. We can't believe we didn't see it. It's, you know, it's our fault. Uh, but they should have come out with that Sunday night, like they've been bragging about that. They're going to be transparent and they're going to admit those kinds of mistakes. And they say only in like key moments, they got to be a big enough play. You know, and you could say, well, a long shot, uh, onside kick's a long shot, but it's a three-point game. USC, uh, you know, they get the 15-yard penalty. Uh, on So then Notre Dame is now, or USC is now kicking off from the Notre Dame, uh, what, from the 50, I guess. Yeah, they'd be kicking off from the 50. Well, if you get an, if you get an onside kick 
recovered that you're kicking from the 50, you got at least two shots at the end zone. So that was probably something that, that we should have heard from the Pac-12, and we didn't. We'll find out today from Clay whether they pushed him uh, or what the Pac-12 told him, you know. But, uh, yeah, that, that was ridiculous. And you never – do you ever hear in these intersectional games where you uh, the visiting team brings the officials, do you ever hear a game where the uh, – and the two previous games where that happened this year for the Pac-12 – uh, at Ole Miss uh, with uh, Cal and at uh, Michigan State with Arizona State. In both of those games, the call went in favor of the Pac-12 team. At Notre Dame, oops, it didn't go in favor of uh, UCLA. UCLA really got screwed there. Uh, oh, wait. Mother's head now. This guy, he officiated half the USC's uh, fall camp practices and still calls them UCLA. It's just... Uh, Amazing. And then that got the Notre Dame students into calling, you, you know, the mocking chant of uh, UCLA, UCLA for USC, which I think shows you the Notre Dame students are pretty hip, but they realized that calling USC UCLA would be like the ultimate insult. And uh, so, uh, but come on, you got to get better than that, Pac-12. So Jeff, the math teacher, has two questions, one of them relating to what we just talked about. He says, I assume that when these non-league games are scheduled, details like which officiating crews work the games are negotiated between the two athletic departments. Shouldn't USC's athletic department be trying to bargain for anyone but Pac-12 officials to be on the assignment? A.K.A. Here's the deal, Notre Dame. We'll continue to play you every year as long as we don't have our own officials working the game. Thoughts, Dan? Well, you know, we, we used to kid about that, that that maybe is what USC ought to do is, uh, USC, there were times when USC got a better deal. Uh, and for a while, the Pac-12, I mean, excuse me, Notre Dame would bring big 10 officials and, uh, you would get a better deal in the Coliseum from the big 10 officials than you did from the Pac-12. So that was kind of a joking, uh, a joking point. You almost have to have your officials to protect you anymore. If you're going on the road in a big game, that the problem is uh, uh, the competence of the Pac-12. I'm not sure they're competent enough to even protect you, even if they wanted to. Uh, although you know they did obviously protect the Cal and in uh, uh, Arizona State, they just weren't competent enough to protect USC. And I do think they were a little intimidated. I mean, the fact that they just uh, USC in uh, Pac-12 officiated games. Uh, I think the total is uh, 16.75 penalties for both teams. So then you get, you know, uh, the Notre Dame game, and there are just seven penalties. I think the, you know, the fact that this is a big national game in prime time at Notre Dame, I think it intimidated the Pac-12 officials a little bit. Whether that was a good thing for USC or not, I would think they look like Healy. You saw it. it looks like a lot of holding going on down there. Yeah. on the field. I mean, Notre Dame looks like Stanford when Stanford's good. And, they, you know, basically there was a lot of holding going on. Yeah, but it tends to happen. I mean, it happened in the Utah game, happened in UW. And I and I talked to some of the defensive line guys, and they're like, yeah, you just assume it's going to happen every game, but it's what you can do about it. And, and Chad K said as much, too. But consistency would be nice from officials. Yeah, I mean, that same crew had, I think it was 17 flags on Utah and – 12 or something on 11, USC. 11 on USC, yeah. 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 And then you go there and it's like really hard to find one. And the, you know, yeah. the one that they did call was like, you know, the roughing the passer was a terrible one. 
Uh, so I'm sure USC had other penalties in that game too that they didn't yeah. get called. But there's like, yeah, it just that's not consistent. If you have if you have an umpire. You want him to be consistent. Maybe his strike zone's a little big. Maybe it's a little small. But it's but whatever. you know what it is, right? If he gives you the inside pitch or whatever, you know. And with the Pac-12, it's just it's more of a random factor. Like it might you have be. to like feel it out each game. Yeah, you just don't know. Um, and it's random in the game itself. That's the other thing. It's not just from game to game. One game they call one way. One game they call the other. It's from play to play. You're not sure what what. I mean, I. And the USC people were upset because they said, hey, you think Keaton didn't get hit later than that and no call? Yeah, he did. It was just normal play. But he, you know, he, uh, Book didn't get the latest hit on a quarterback in that game. But when, when, when it happened to Keaton, there was no call. I mean, that's uh, – so, yeah, uh, I don't blame him for being a little upset. And then Jeff has a second question. He says, also, what happened to all the talk of air raid finding open grass? From what I've seen, from what I've seen, Pittman and Vaughn's almost never run routes that take them more than five yards away from the sidelines. Thanks, Jeff, the math teacher from Fountain Valley. I think when they they dropped the two safeties, uh, you know, in the middle of the field, and then uh, uh, and they basically drop eight, and that was a surprise because I don't think Notre Dame would would do that as much. But uh, they're basically saying we're not going to let you have any open grass, and you're going to have to figure places in between. And then they doubled, uh, they basically doubled Pittman the whole time. I mean, they're all afraid of Pittman. They're just they're not going to let Pittman beat you. So I thought they did a good job of, uh, of finding Amon Ra and getting those shallow, uh, crosses that he does so well. I just think they need to run more plays. They need to run, run the offense faster and they need to give themselves chances to make more plays. They just, they just have to do that. Uh, you, you don't want it looking like a regular offense. And right now it looks more like, you know, kind of just a regular old offense. And uh, I thought that was not the idea this year that you would make teams. So you get Notre Dame dropping eight. They don't do that almost ever. So that's not something. So now you've got them out of their, uh, you know, comfort zone. That's a good thing for you. And, and you've got to figure out how to you know take advantage of it. And I'm not sure that, that you know, obviously they can do bad with uh, with the passing attack, but just 35 uh, 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 pass attempts last year. I think USC threw the ball was it 37 times in the first half, uh, 30, something like you know, at against Notre Dame, and so that's kind of the way you maybe needed to go. And yet they'll say, well, but our run game was going well too. But it, it's got to pay off a little bit more. You can't stop yourself, and uh, that's where you know that consistency comes in. And I think consistency is what what happens in practice. We got a voicemail question. We got a lot, but here's the next one. I guess <laughs> here you go. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I think a number of people have called in and, and spoke to Clay Helton, sort of repeated uh, sense of communication with how he approaches every single game. You know, he says. Guys played hard. They they did their best and sort of repeat the same things, whether it's a, a win or a loss, and know that that bothers a lot of the fans that have tuned in and want to see him a little bit more fiery. I guess my question is in relation to the team's communication department. I know um, or I've been watching the Pac-12 Network and seen the guy Tim Tessalone or Tessalon and him come up and 
seems like he's more of a um, information type of communicator as far as he would be able to tell you game notes or how many touchdowns a USC quarterback has thrown in consecutive games, but never got the sense that he was much for um, strategic communications and wondering if there is a, a strategic communications officer for the team because it seems like there there is definitely room for one that could help uh, sort of retell this narrative for Clay and help him realize that every time he gets put up for a press conference, he digs his own grave with the way that he speaks. Uh, thanks for taking the question and for all that you guys do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think Clay is his own strategic uh, you know, communications guy, and I don't think that's ever been built in much to USC. Uh, it's mostly, you know, we're USC. If we're good, everybody pays attention to us and listens to us, and if not, uh, we'll just all look the other way and act like it's not not our fault. Uh, but yeah, I think I think Clay could do with some coaching, and 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 some of the themes I think that he, he has developed. I think fans want to see. Okay, we're really pissed off now. This shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't be three and three. We ought to be at the you know worst five and one just because Notre Dame is you know number nine in the country and we're on the road. Uh, and the game turned out the way, and they played really well. But, but you don't hear that. You know, you want to, you want somebody that is just beside himself after the BYU game. And then at, at, at Washington, you want somebody who would say what I would have said is, that's a team we should have beat. Not like, oh, 28-14, hey, we weren't bad. That was pretty good. I thought, you know, did you see us run the ball there? Uh, you know, hey, I feel pretty good about this. I mean, that's the game I said where you need strategic communication. You do not come out and say we did pretty well here against Washington because you need somebody who says they're not very good, which they're starting to prove uh, that they're not that good at all. And that that was a game that absolutely USC should have won. So, so yeah, you want to you want a, a coach who's a little more in tune with how the fans are reacting to the game. Uh, and, and reinforces that and says, you know, not that, oh, we're on the right track. We're just almost there. You know, we're going to emphasize fundamentals and techniques. So we're going to identify what's wrong. No, you don't want to. Uh, who cares about identifying what you did wrong? Stop it. Don't do it anymore. Practice it so that you don't keep doing it. But that idea, well, we're going to catalog it and we'll put a big chart up and We'll say, you know, big X's that don't do this and don't do that. No, go out and practice so you don't do this and don't do that. But that, yeah, I think strategic communications is, is, is a lost art at USC. It's, I mean, how badly did they strategically communicate uh, in the NCAA case? You know, has anybody ever done worse than USC in the way they responded with all the opportunity that they had, all the corruption at the NCAA, all the you know, things that the NCA, you know, got away with all the, uh, you know, all the, all the bad acting the NCA did and USC just kept quiet. And, um, I think they, you need to have, uh, I think that's a really good point. Strategic communication from the point of view of USC would really be a good thing, but, uh, yeah, and I don't think you know, for the sports information department, that's uh, my understanding. That's not really their job. They don't really have I, no one that I know of that do, that would be doing that. Like sports information is like the media relations people, but they're not necessarily 
coming up with like, here's what the, the message that you want to send out from the coaching staff or anything? What I'd like is as a former sports information director, I think what you, one of the jobs you can do and, and they do do a little coaching of the players and how to do interviews and all of that. I don't think it would be wrong to coach the coaches. And I don't think it would be wrong to be listening to what the fans are saying and maybe responding to the, or telling the coach, you know, it wouldn't be maybe a bad idea to emphasize this or, or de-emphasize that or whatever. I, I think that's where being a professional, you know, public relations person, uh, I, I just think they don't have anyone who sees their job as public relations. They see their job as media information or <laughs> as we, uh, as we see every single game, media uh, management, uh, see that corner back there. I want all you guys back in that corner. I don't want any of you near the uh, near the post game meal table at all. Get back there. Okay, that's probably the emphasis that we get from USC, and you'd probably like to see that emphasis a little bit uh, broader and a little bit more proactive. Uh, I would think. We have an email from Rodney from Fort Lewis, Washington, who says, "Well, boys, our team played hard. We have a." We have a real talented bunch of boys on our team, and I feel like we stayed in the game because of the talent on our team, not because of the talent of our coaches. Get rid of this coaching staff ASAP. There's no reason SC should have lost this game. USC has way too much talent on their hands to be losing games. If we had a coach that knew how to use this plethora of talent that we have here at SC, we would have another national title on our hands. How did USC lose this game, and what are the key factors on why USC lost this game? Well, I mean, I think you could almost even accept Okay, 30-27 on the road at Notre Dame. They played well. If you hadn't lost at Washington and at BYU, you'd be 5-1. and one. If Notre Dame's number 9, you'd probably be number 10, whatever. And you'd still have a chance to finish uh, a really strong season that you could all feel proud of. The fact that you've already lost two games to not Notre Dame, to inferior teams, uh, I think is the problem. Uh, and then the idea that you know, Notre Dame played really well, and they barely held on to beat a, a USC team that, that didn't play all that well all the time. Uh, and mixed in, you know, good plays with the bad, still looks like they need need to do some work on defense, and yet there they were challenging them, you know, right at the end. And uh, USC, you know, it's just that they're so close in so many ways considering all of the issues. And, yeah, I mean, if you come away from that game, you say, wow, Notre Dame is really well coached. And I don't ever remember somebody saying, man, that USC team is well coached. Uh, it's like we asked Clay last week about, you always hear the comments about, uh, like a Notre Dame, boy, they're physical. Hey, they're really physical. I said, when do you ever hear that about USC? When does anybody ever say, they say they're talented or they scare you because of some of the things they can do you know, score quickly and be explosive and all that. But I don't, I can't even remember the last time somebody said, yeah, that USC, they're a physical team. No, they're not. And yet that was the big secret. I think the whole Pete Carroll time until it kind of faded off at the end was USC had the reputation of being, you know, Hollywood and stars and whatever. And they'd get on the field with those SEC teams and those Big Ten teams and they'd punch them in the mouth, and everybody would say, wow, they're way phys- more physical. We didn't quite realize how physical they were. Uh, 
that's what USC's got to be. They got to become much more, you know, a physical uh, force out there, and um, you know, it just is not happening. Back to the messaging, we got a text from Sir Eric of Troy who says, "Is Helton delusional or is it us?" Clay Helton seems to think that all he has to do to be considered a, suce- a successful head coach is to win the Southern half of the weakest conference in the group. I say this because he couldn't care less about how we appear on the national scene or any game we lose outside of the Pac-12 South. Is it possible that someone told him this and we are the ones who are silly enough to think otherwise? I mean, hey, he fooled us once already when we thought he would be gone, though he did not appear worried at all. Might he know something we do not? He speaks of the Pac-12 South not as a consolation prize, but as his only goal, as if we should all see that as good enough what are your thoughts well that's why i refuse to go with a bad prediction for the season i'm not going to lower my expectations based on uh, other people and you know it's i I don't think you should let usc off the hook and say well all that matters is the pac-12 south getting into the championship game no that's not you gotta you're usc you gotta act like it and uh but there's where I mean I think Clay is a strategic uh, you know communicator. I mean he's a he's got a he's got a message and he sticks to it. And uh, has the expectations been lowered? Absolutely. Uh, is that a good thing? Absolutely not. But uh, but there is a you know there's a kind of communication strategy going on at USC right now. And uh, you know it was one that said for example it doesn't matter what happens at Notre Dame. And this is before the game because we still have our whole second half and our whole Pac-12 South future ahead of us. So, um, you know, now, obviously, in the next couple of weeks, that that could come to a crashing halt if you don't win games where you just absolutely positively, you know, have to win them. Uh, but uh, you guys see, I mean, one of the things they've got to – got to build up some steam uh in these next two weeks because then you got oregon coming in and you want you know you want a crowd you want to have the same kind of crowd notre dame had behind them and uh that's not going to happen if you uh if if you don't perform the next two weeks but uh you know we'll see uh you know what they do to maybe change things up uh enough to so you can walk away from you know playing somebody good like when you get Oregon in here, or you can you can have the kind of team that will not give teams like Arizona and and Colorado a chance to stay in the game, and uh, we haven't seen that yet. Be, uh, before we jump in uh, to the rest of the questions, I want to tell you guys about SeatGeek. So I know a lot of people they write in, they want to get tickets for the different USC football games. It's hard. They want to know which way to go. So. A lot of these websites just seem like they're making it difficult on purpose. SeatGeek certainly does not do that. Uh, it's a great way to go check out live sporting events or any kind of other live events. And they use a price match guarantee on SeatGeek. They're proving there's a better way. They have millions of those event events on the app, which you have to make sure you download. So it could be live music, comedy shows, cer- certainly USC games, sporting events, uh, things like that. So make sure you check it out on SeatGeek. They're five star. They have five star reviews uh, from over fifty thousand people on their app. So I want you to check it out. I have it up right now. Say you want to go to USC Arizona for homecoming. Look throughout. They show you where the tickets are throughout the stadium. There's little green dots for the better deals, yellow and red dots, but not as good deals. And when you click on any of the deals, it'll show you the view from those seats where you're going to be. They give you all kinds of information on it. There's a ton of information on the website, and you're going to have an informed decision on what you want to do as far as buying tickets 
to the game. So make sure you check it out uh, on the SeatGeek app. And right now, they're going to give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So all you got to do is download the pro- or use the promo code USC when you download the SeatGeek app. They'll give you $10 off your first purchase. Use promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. So check it out. Let us know how you feel. Let's jump back in with a question from our buddy Stephen Poway, who says, I'm fine with all the criticism that will be lodged at Clay Helton this week in the aftermath of another loss at Notre Dame. There simply was no answer for the ground game that Notre Dame had, and that was very frustrating. However, I will say that I really love the heart and the fight that this team shows. They're never completely out of games. They never give up. And this week, they actually look poised and disciplined, even when they couldn't tackle to save their lives. This team is a paradox. Would you agree, Stephen Poway? Yeah, that's the, uh, uh, Steve, you're exactly right to be frustrated because when you have a uh, turnover-free game, uh, almost penalty-free game, uh, where, you, you know, you you get a running attack going, uh, you get a guy who's a real threat, uh, averaging 8.2 yards a carry, you think, oh, man, this is, this is what you need to do. And, again, you maybe pick the wrong time to do it against, uh, you know, the, the team that, probably going to be the toughest uh, to beat, you know, on this schedule. But, yeah, that, that inability to kind of match everything. Uh, for example, that game probably uh, absolutely wins uh, at BYU. That game, I think, beats Washington. I was, I was so not impressed with them. So, you know, then you're a, you're a five-and-one team if you can just play that game. And you got to, you know, we get to see most of the Notre Dame game. And they basically go out and they just be Notre Dame. They just go out and boom, boom, boom. This is who we are. This is what we do. And they do it. And I don't know that we have any sense of who is this USC team other than, as you said, they don't quit. They keep playing. Uh, you know, they're, they're convinced that, hey, we can, we can do this, but they don't have the ability to sustain it and to do it every play or to do it consistently one way or another way. Uh, from game to game and week to week, and uh, but uh, yeah, that's frustrating. I mean, that's almost worse than being bad is being pretty good and still not getting the results. Uh, uh, where you see, oh wow, we coulda, shoulda, but uh, but didn't quite. Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating. This team is not easy to to <laughs> you know to follow and and feel really good about because you you feel you know bad about the opportunities uh, wasted. One of the questions is, uh, we get a lot like, well, what if JT Daniels was healthy for the whole season? You're like, yep, that's fair. But then you could also ask, what if someone else was coaching this exact same group of players? Like, what would USC's record be? And I like, if Urban Meyer's coaching this team, they're undefeated. Like, there's not a question about it. Uh, The same exact players with the same injuries, you know? Um, so I think you can look at some different things. That's that's what the issue is, is that coming off five and seven, three and three is not good enough. BYU is not very good. They're just not. They're two and four right now. They just they lost again. Um, this is a team that should be better than what it is. And that's why fans are frustrated. They should not be three and three right now. They should not have been five and seven last year. And if you practice differently, you coach differently, you had a better staff, all that kind of stuff, you would be. And to me, it's just the the time has run out on these guys. 
Yeah, you knew what you were coming into this season. You you can't lose the BYU game, and you really shouldn't build up Washington to be a better team than it is. I mean, and that's one of the good things. We get to go see the games in person, and you you can tell how talented, how athletic uh, a team is. And, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I couldn't tell after the Washington game whether Clay really believed that they were good or just was saying that because – they weren't very good. They weren't very athletic. They didn't have a lot of guys that would start at USC, for example. And yet, you know, they win by two touchdowns. That was ridiculous. Uh, again, that's uh, not preparing your, your players to, uh, to to go and have success. It was like they tiptoed into, you know, Husky Stadium and, oh, I hope we can stay on the field with this team that's not nearly as good as we are. It's like, what? Come on. And uh, they you know, when you see Keaton, for example, have a game like Saturday, you think, what was going on, uh, you know, at BYU? How is that? I know it was only a second game, but still, you know, uh, what, what Graham keeps saying about how special, you know, Keaton is, I don't think he's totally wrong there. Uh, but then you get a three interception game and, and you think, where did that come from? You know, is that preparation? Is that the game plan? What was, what didn't happen? And uh, something didn't happen. Um, Keely, I know you hate when I do this. I'm sorry, but I got to like do a little tangent. I know we don't have a lot of time, but okay. While we were doing this and I, I instantly thought this when I saw it was a tweet from the uh, USC Trojans account. I don't know if you saw this. Did you have any sense? Uh, So USC tweeted out on Saturday, USC will host its annual zero waste game with the uh, recycle, uh, Emoji. emoji there yeah uh at president fault has some tips uh to help usc win with win the pac-12 with zero uh, in the zero waste challenge or the pac-12 zero waste challenge fight on hashtag usc zero waste and so i was like uh-oh there's gonna be some replies to this because I, mean, I mean they could they could reply you know they could tweet out usc cured <laughs> cancer and there's gonna be all kinds of fire clay tweets but when you do something like that so Stuart mandel tweeted up can't tm up like that with a picture of that tweet, and then the the first three replies are from our buddy Jason Kane. Uh, but he 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 that, is that Jason in Longhorn Country or is no? That... That's Jason from Japan who actually sent us a question this week. Oh, okay, Jason from Japan. He says, "Fire Helton, you'll remove uh, the most waste on our campus." <laughs> Super Trader Helton wasting schools money. Uh, whatever said every game is a pile of waste with Clay Helton. So you knew there was going to be something. And uh, I, it's social media. What do you expect? Right. But that's still like you, I, if you want to talk about strategic play, like maybe that strategic communication stuff like but, that could have helped. OK, so but they're doing this pactful challenge. What are they supposed to do? Not tweet about it? You could. I think you have to do it in a different way. Like like what, though? Right. I don't know. I mean, it, <sighs> it's they're in, they're in a corner. Yeah. It was like the end. Remember, if you were the end of last year. Where they had to stop interviewing Clay Helton because even if you put a picture of him, he could you could have put a picture yeah. of Clay Helton on the screen saving a baby from a burning building and they would have booed it. Like that's where just where it was. So yeah, so I don't know if you could actually tweet something, but I I don't know. Maybe it, I, I don't know. What do you think, Dad? It's uh, yeah. I mean, you could say things like, "Okay, we know this in the big picture doesn't matter at all to any of you fans out there, but still." We're going to do it for the planet. We're going to save the planet uh, and win a football game Saturday or, or something like that. But, 
you, you maybe got to kind of make fun of yourself a little bit or, or step back and, and, and act like uh, you, you understand how not important it is. And I know the Pac-12 is number one and zero waste. And I don't know, was USC number one in, in the Pac-12? Or I know they were challenging for the top spot. Uh, but, uh, I mean, every I think, single, I'm going to the, the tweet, every single reply is a negative health thing, except for one where the person thinks that president fault looks like Carol Burnett. Like that's the only, those are the only replies. <laughs> I actually to that. Can see that though. But yeah, no, I can, it's pretty <laughs> I funny. I can great. see that too. But like you have to, it has to, I don't know. Oh, I, I just don't know what the solution is there, right? Yeah. Anyway, I think some of it is a little self-awareness. And USC doesn't always seem like they're aware of what the world is thinking and saying about them. And if you were, you'd probably be some real work to get a tweet that you think you have to get it out, but you got to do it in a way that the people out there know, okay, they get it. They know what the deal is. And I just don't think you can send something out where you totally don't get what people are going to say as soon as you, you send it out. I mean, I guarantee you whoever sent that tweet out, is surprised at the reaction. And you got to be smarter than that. Anyway, let's move on to an email from Steve, USC class of 97, who says, first a comment and then a question. The three-point loss to Notre Dame is even more maddening than if USC had been blown out. They have the players and the team plays hard, but then they're making the same mistakes week after week, which comes back to coaching. With a better coaching staff, this team could be 5-1 and one or even 6-0. and oh. Now on to the question. The conventional wisdom at the beginning of the season was that USC's first six games were brutal and the schedule would ease up in the second half. However, my back of the napkin math shows that the combined record of USC's first six opponents is 22-14 and 14, and the combined record of their next six opponents is also 22-14. and 14. How do you rate the back half of their schedule and what do you think this means for the team going forward? Thanks and fight on. Steve, USC class of 97. Yeah, the, the, the front half is still probably a little... Uh, better just because you know they caught Utah short week and on the road that was that was a super break so maybe you don't you know count that Utah team as that Utah team because the, the numbers are ridiculous as far as Pac-12 teams on the road on Friday they're they're screwed uh, but with the presence of Notre Dame on the road you probably got to go with the front half the the the, cha- the thing that's changed is uh, the way Cal and Arizona State are playing. Uh, I think you, you had the sense that Oregon was going to be good. I think they're a little, uh, you know, they were going to be a challenge. If they've got, you know, some talent and all of that. They look like they're managing things better on defense than uh, than we've seen. So, so Oregon becomes uh, uh, more of a threat than you thought, even at the Coliseum. And then you've got the two road games at Cal and uh, and Arizona State, both of whom with with very little uh, talent. I thought last year, uh, you know, a couple of players here and there, but. Uh, uh, both beat USC at USC. So, uh, yeah, the second half is not a walk in the park. I mean, I, I think USC is probably capable of losing to everybody on the schedule in the second half. I don't think, obviously, if you could lose to UCLA the way USC did last year, uh, that's a possibility. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of schedule that you better show up every week. You better be ready every week. Your coaches better be ready. Uh, you better, you know, you know, you better play, you know, consistently play up to your, you know, your ability and no more excuses. Stop, you know, stop the, stop the excuse making, stop the, you know, we tried hard or whatever. No, you're better than, you actually 
better than everybody on the second half of the schedule. They've got better players. You know, they shouldn't, you know, they should not lose, but you know, I don't know if anybody's going to make that bet that they could run the table on the, on the back end of the schedule, but they've gotten a choice. I think at this point, they yeah. put themselves in a box. Yeah. Uh, we have a voicemail and uh, this person has a little bit of beef to pick with you, Dan. So we'll, oh. uh, we'll play yeah. it here. Uh Oh, <laughs> be careful. Here we go. Hi guys. Daniel out of Los Angeles. Just have a, Quick beef with Dan, Dan Weber. Dan Weber's a good guy. He means well. He does great work. But this past weekend, um, well, yes, yesterday on his uh, instant analysis, Dan kept mentioning USC playing Notre Dame like like it's like a, some kind of true test in college football that if you play Notre Dame tough, it means you can run through the back 12 And, I mean, Notre Dame is decent, but let's all be honest. Just playing Notre Dame is not like playing the best in the country. Yeah, they're a good team. You know, they went toe-to-toe with, with – with uh, Georgia last year, but Georgia completely controlled him this year from start to finish. And, uh, and he's bringing up Oregon, like you just run into the Pac-12, hopefully Oregon. Oregon's a good team. Oregon went toe-to-toe with Auburn, who's only lost to Florida. So, I mean, you can't just say that, you know, playing Notre Dame tough means you walk through the Pac-12. Arizona State went down to Michigan State and, and handled them with ease. Uh, so these, these next game, Arizona State, Oregon would be really tough matches. There's, there's no walkthrough with it, especially with this USC staff. Yes, USC has the players, Dan, but they don't have the staff to match up with these guys. They're not just going to walk in and beat Arizona State or just just blow through Oregon coming to the Coliseum. These are going to be two tough games that I highly – I mean, I would like to see them win, but I, I, it's going to be tough. I don't really see USC with this coaching staff beating Oregon or Arizona State this season. I just don't. Like, Notre Dame is good, but playing them at home is not just the end-all, be-all of college football. It's still Notre Dame. I mean, they, they, they're, they're okay, but they, they still have a long way to go. But fight on. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, Notre Dame is, is – uh, there's a big gulf, I think, between the you know, top four or five. I don't think we know even how they all shake out. But there's a big gulf between, you know, that group and then the rest of the top ten, however they deserve to be. Uh, all Notre Dame is is – Notre Dame is Notre Dame. Okay? They're not. I mean, they're not as talented as USC in a lot of ways. They compete like crazy. They play really hard. They're physical. They're really well coached. So that's a good challenge, I think, on the road for USC. So that's the 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 thought is if you can go there and play that team and and play up to your ability, then you've got a chance. Uh, one of the advantages you, you get Oregon at home. I mean, you got to build that in and into your thinking about the schedule. So I think. USC playing Notre Dame. Let's say USC beats Notre Dame on the road. They should beat Oregon at home. I get, you know, there's no obvious transit of you know, property, you know, that, that, that follows through on something like that. But I think Notre Dame was a good test in, in terms of they're a legitimate, I think they're a legitimate top 10 team and they're legitimate physically and they're legitimate in terms of their coaching and in terms of their, their mentality. I mean, they really expect to win every game, uh, you know, whether they're as good as Georgia or not. I was surprised. I, I, that game, you know, I mean, Georgia now you're starting to question, you know, how good is Georgia? And there are a lot of ways you can question everybody in the country, I think, at this point, but, uh, uh, or not everybody, maybe not LSU now that they've got an offense. Uh, that's pretty impressive stuff. And Oklahoma with Jalen Hurts, you got to say, wow, they've, they've figured some things out there. But if USC, you know, figures some things out, 
uh, they're by far the best players in the past. I mean, USC has 40, I guess, what is it, 47 four- and five-star players. Clemson has just 40. Uh, and uh, Wisconsin has, I think, nine. I mean, they're just – yeah, so USC – whether you say, you know, once you get into the season and then they should, you know, do this or should do that. But basically, as you said, if you coach them up and, 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 and get everything right, uh, you gotta, you gotta have a good way, you know, with this schedule. Uh, and I don't disagree. I think, you know, Herm Edwards has done a wonderful job at Arizona state. I mean, that, you know, go and beat Michigan state at Michigan state, uh, it's just terrific. And, uh, Oregon, you know, they're they're handling their game day stuff better. They you know they they were not that great a team, especially on the road. But their defense is much more more sound. I'm not denigrating uh, the Pac-12. I'm just saying that if you just line everybody up in the Pac-12, USC has the best players. And does that mean you know? And the way this season's going, if USC could have gone in there in the South Bend and beat Notre Dame, then it tells you something good is happening for USC that would play out well the second half of the season. But, yeah, not to denigrate the way the Pac-12 is done. I mean, you know, Justin Wilcox has has done a terrific job at Cal. Uh, Herm Edwards is just giving all the credit in the world. Uh, Way to go at Arizona State. They have enough good players, there's no question, at at both of those places. And, yeah, this is going to be challenging as heck. I don't even say that the Arizona and the you know Colorado games aren't going to be challenging, and who knows with UCLA after last year. So yeah, this is not to to put the Pac-12 down. The I mean, Pac-12 is better, I think, you know, than the um, uh, Big 12 or the ACC this year. And I'm not even sure, you know, head to head with the with the uh, uh, Big Ten. Uh, you, know, you could take uh, Ohio State and Wisconsin out of there. I'm not sure where where Michigan fits in. I don't think the Pac-12. So again, that's not a put down of the Pac-12. It's just uh, I just thought it was a good marker for USC uh, if they are able to show up and play. And you know, now we say, well, it's a good half marker, uh, but uh, but not the full not the full game version. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know that USC's got a better chance at, um, in Tempe than they had in South Bend. I don't know. Now we're going to pull out a question, one of the questions from Pissed Off Trojan Rick, uh, who says, read our offense, Bama and Oklahoma have elite receivers who are game planned for, but somehow they have offenses that still give, get them the ball. We have three elite receivers, but we never run any jet sweeps, motions, just the same old fade, fade routes. Screw the air raid, urban or bust, there are no other options. He's elite. I don't even want to hear about anyone else who hasn't won a title. So I guess this is about the offense. So, Dan? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's not a question. So uh, yeah. I guess it doesn't it doesn't need an answer. But yeah, I mean, it's a good opinion. That's a good opinion. I mean, that's a yeah. You're, I can understand that opinion completely. It doesn't look like the air raid. You're right there. It just doesn't look like that. It looks like an offense. It just doesn't look, you know, doesn't look that much different in some ways from last year. Uh, and uh, you know, yeah. How do they not distribute the ball more? Um, uh, you know, uh, is it their inability to immediately force teams to uh, uh, get out of dropping eight, for example? I mean, if you if, if they drop eight, you pound the ball down, score right away. They 
they think twice. If they do it again and you pound it down and score again, they really think twice about uh, about you know keeping on dropping eight. And I just think you have to punish people. And I don't look at this team as the kind of team that's going to punish you. Whereas Notre Dame, not all of, all the time, but when they got things set up the way they, they wanted them, they punished USC. And I, I, I would like to see USC start punishing people. Okay, you're going to do that. We're going to punish you. I don't, that just doesn't seem to be in their DNA. And I think you need that in your DNA in college football now. Team, you know, when Pete was here, I don't think there were as many teams that it really, really mattered to say that they were, they were doing things, every single thing you could do to be really good. I think it's different now. There are more teams doing things really, really well. And uh, you can't not do them really well. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, finish up all our questions. More about the future of the program and some of the uh, somehow fans are pretty upset uh, the way things are going right now. So we'll back in a minute and we'll uh, keep going on your questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, here we go. Let's uh, let's play a voicemail for you, Dan. Here you go. Hi, this is Richard from uh, Palm Springs right after the Notre Dame game. Uh, I have to give SC uh, credit for the way they played tonight and, and maybe the uh, – Passengers are roughing the passer call against them was the difference in the game. Maybe it wasn't, uh, but the same scenario, uh, they lost the game. And it seems I've been watching the same scenario for three years or more. Actually, Paul, since Pete Carroll, uh, left, there has been no change in the way SC plays football. Win a game, lose a game, uh, I don't see anything moving forward. And again, Dalton was saying, you know, they made one more play than we did, and then watch us here in November. We've got six games left to play. It's like, well, play, I watched you in September, I watched you in October. And I don't really see how the new president and hopefully the new athletic director can see the football program uh, going ahead with Clay Helton as the coach and taking us to the next level or the level that we used to be at SC. Uh, contending for national championships every year. I like Helton as a person, but uh, the great Leo DeRocher used to say that last guys finish, nice guys finish last, and I feel that's the way we're going with Helton. So I enjoy your show very much, and uh, hopefully maybe SC can play a better game next week. Uh, Fight on. Take care. Bye. Wow, I love it. Leo DeRocher, how long has it been since we've heard that, that quote from Leo DeRocher? Growing up, that's all you heard. I mean, that was uh, that was a staple. Uh, so good job by, by you coming up with the, with the old Leo DeRocher uh, quote. One of my, when I was a uh, stadium superintendent at Riverfront Stadium, one of my collectibles was uh, uh, the managers of teams would uh, 
uh, put the scorecard up on the on the uh, on the dugout and they sign it. And uh, and most of the time that people were supposed to t- take those down and tear them up. But I would always check to see it. I I have a scorecard tied by Leo DeRocher. I think he was managing the Cubs at the time. But uh, yeah, that's a great uh, a great comment. And I, I I actually got to know Happy Chandler, who was the governor of Kentucky, who was also the baseball commissioner, who uh, banned uh, Leo DeRocher for a year. Uh, and and he was always really proud of uh, of bouncing uh, Leo DeRocher out of baseball for a year. So. Thank you for bringing up Leo DeRocher's name. And you might be right. Nice guys do seem to be, have, I mean, in terms of niceness uh, and just in general, and Clay completely treats us uh, in ways in which I don't know that any of the other top 10 coaches in America would, would treat people. But uh, I think it's hard to win uh, uh, national championships or be competing for them and to be just uh you know, uh, a wonderful sweetheart. Dabo Swinney looks like maybe the, you know, the closest in that category, but, uh, I think college kids, uh, really need to be, uh, pushed pretty hard and disciplined and, and, and know there are consequences to taking off plays and things like that. And I just, you don't quite see that, uh, at USC. It's just not happening. Guys do take plays off. Now we saw, uh, Coach Chad on the sideline at the end of that game, he was not being a nice guy. Uh, I, I think that chair, one of the chairs survived, but uh, he had that his defensive lineman, and he was in their faces one after another after another, calling them selfish. And, you know, they decided to do what they wanted to do instead of what they were supposed to do. And I loved it. I mean, I don't know. Keely, were you close enough to see that? Uh, that was uh, That was some good stuff. No, I actually didn't see that. I think I was on the opposite side. What happened there? Yeah, we were. We had just come down, and we were right at that corner of the USC bench, and just gotten on the field. You know, the last five minutes, and that was the Ian Book touchdown. And he was really unhappy that everybody didn't do what they were supposed to do, didn't stay where they were supposed to stay. And Coach Chad just got in every single guy's face, and you could just see the looks on their faces, like, oh. No, he really is mad at us, and yes, he really was mad at him. And they were isolated in the corner, and you know they sit in like a little U shape. And he went from one guy to the next guy to the next guy, and it was right in their face. And I thought really good coaching. It was that kind of justified anger at you know a play or two plays actually back to back for the score that that was the ball game, and. Uh, I think USC could benefit from more of that kind of coaching up. I think that would be a good thing uh, on a regular basis, and uh, it doesn't happen enough. Now I'm going to pull an audible. I'm going to combine three questions because they essentially all ask the same thing. Uh, One is from Pissed Off Trojan Rick. The other is our buddy Eric in Duck Country. And then Fight On or Dan Class of 1962. They all essentially say, we know the thoughts about firing a coach midseason, considering what happened to the last two coaches, but they're saying, can you reconsider that, especially with recruiting down the line, early signing period? Uh, it seems impulsive and a sign of impatient administration, but do you think it's become necessary and logical due to the early signing period? Stuff like that. So they essentially want us to debate that, weigh the pros and cons, and if that's the right call at this point of the yeah. season. It, I mean, it's definitely changed the game. To have the early signing period, which is not 
it's not the early signing period. It's the signing period. That's when you yeah. sign your class. So that's late December, December 20th, or I forget what day it is this year, but that's, you have to have things in place then. It used to be you could take your time, you fire a coach in early December, you hire someone in mid-January, and then they have like the last three or four weeks to get signing day together. That's no longer the case, especially in USC's case where you kind of know the direction that this is going. I think Carol Fulton needed to make a move at the athletic director spot. That was great. We still haven't heard who that's going to be. I mean, the faster they can do that, the better off. At least it gives you options of what to do. I do think you could see something happen with even without, you know, a, an athletic director or, you know, Dave Roberts, interim athletic director, if there's a, a horrible loss coming up. Um, I mean, three and three, I don't know if it was a blowout by Notre Dame, would they have made some kind of move after the Washington game during the bye week? You thought there might be some kind of move. I, you know, at this point, it's either not happening during the season if it happens at all, or it's going to take a something, some kind of catalyst, some kind of bad loss. Uh, you lose to, to Arizona at home, and everyone's up in arms. You're under 500 again. I, maybe something happens at that point. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the first mistake is uh, letting Lance Swan go into uh, – September. I mean, what was the point of that? I mean, you know, they, they were apparently limiting his ability to do things, the hire and fire and all of that in the summer. Uh, I don't think there was anybody who didn't think what was going to happen was going to happen. But you know, had you done it in the summer, and I know it's difficult when you're the new president, you're just here and you've got a thousand things to do. But if you do that, you have a chance to maybe get one of the big time guys uh, in the summer. But once the school year started, I don't think you could expect, and apparently, as as you would guess, that USC basically got turned down from everybody they kind of talked to quietly, especially while Lynn was still on the job. I mean, who of the other big-time athletic directors is going to be negotiating for a job when the guy is still there? So I think that put him behind the eight ball already. I mean, I think everybody knew you were going to have to, um, you know, uh, make a change there. They didn't, then they did, and now they're scrambling to find somebody who would be available on, on fairly short notice for something that really, really, really mattered. And uh, so, and now they're playing catch-up, which is not unusual for USC. Uh, and, you know, I think the whole question is, uh, who, what coach is available? And I think everybody knows what direction we're looking at, and that changes everything. I mean, if, if that coach is available... I don't know that you need to have an athletic director. I don't think it matters. Uh, but then, you know, President Folt will be doing what she said she wasn't going to do, which is hire and fire football coaches. Uh, I don't see any other way around it. And I think if, it, if it's going to be Urban Meyer, uh, she's going to ultimately make the decision anyway because of, of, of those issues that everybody, you know, knows about. And it's going to be her call. And, I don't think she can avoid it at this point. And, you know, she might have to go back on what she said that I don't hire and fire. But, uh, but if that happens, uh, then the athletic director doesn't become quite, you know, such a significant issue. But, uh, if, if you have to get an athletic director, I mean, how does he walk in on day one and say, well, I've decided this about the football coach. I think you're still in that situation where, it isn't going to be easy, um, you know, for the 
a guy to do that on, on day one. Um, even, you know, if you said, I mean, and most USC fans say, well, we've seen enough, uh, but that doesn't mean the new athletic director would be able to legitimately say that. Um, so, so they're kind of in a bind, I think. Uh, and then with the recruiting, uh, I think as it turns out, last year's class is far better than it got rated. And then it got, you added Steele and, uh, and Brew McCoy and, and all of that. So I, I know people will say, oh, they were ranked 20th, and this is going to be a second straight kind of semi-wipeout. I don't think last year's class was a wipeout. So, but you still can't afford uh, a blank in this year's uh in this next year's class you you can't although i think this this roster right now if they would you know keep everybody and if they would bring in you know the kind of guy that they're talking about or that the world is talking about with an urban meyer i think an urban meyer with this roster uh is absolutely capable of going to the playoffs next year i'm completely convinced of that uh so you know, I think it, at the football coach level is where, you know, the pressure is right now. And I'm not, I'm not, not convinced that the uh, athletic director is the, is the issue. Well, speaking of athletic director, we have one final email. I believe we have one more voicemail. Yeah, we'll, Ryan? we'll save that one for last. Alrighty, It's from Mark Child who says, what about these resume requirements for the soon to be filled AD position? Strong hands-on knowledge of broadcast media, including deep understanding of it of its economics has demonstrated a willingness to confront the status quo strong negotiation skills that have demonstrated a success, uh, a success in gaining a favorable outcome for his position to the detriment of his competitors, a past history of coaching hires that have repeatedly shown an improvement over the prior coach demonstrated strong, honest communication with the media and donors. Yeah. So he's okay. just, so he's just giving, and I want a pony. <laughs> like, I don't, yes. <laughs> Those are good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. That's all it was, guys. <laughs> I was like, was there a name yeah, yet? Yeah. Like an idea? It wasn't just like we can all craft the greatest athletic director, but it's just who's... It's, it's really simple, Mark. It's it, like it, someone that's been an athletic director before that doesn't know the fight song. That's all you need. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, if you do that, yeah. you're like a thousand times better than where you were for the past thirty years. So that's just do that, and you'll be so much better. Yeah. But no sass to Mark. You know, it's as, not about Mark. Yeah, as much as I'd like to see it, uh, uh, somebody, a professional athletic director who knows how athletic departments are supposed to run, I'd really like to see somebody who could come in and lead the Pac-12. USC needs to be a leader in the Pac-12. I mean, it's been nowhere uh, for you know the last two athletic directors. And, and USC, the Pac-12 needs USC to lead it. Yes. And, and USC needs to lead the Pac-12. And I want a guy who has maybe a, a broader vision of, and I want somebody who can think about should USC stay and when push comes to shove, should USC, is that the best future for USC staying in the PAC 12? And if it's not, what is the best future for yeah. USC and where does that go? And I want somebody who can think those thoughts. And I mean, honestly, if you, you approach anybody in the last two terms with something like that, they're, they're like their eyes crossed. And we're like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. That's just, no, it's not. You need somebody again, you know, I hate the expression, the out of the box thinker and all that, but that's what you need at USC right now. You need a strong hand 
in the athletic department, but you need a guy with a, a wider or a girl, whatever, with a wider vision. And uh, I don't know if uh, uh, that's, I mean, I, that's a lot. That's smart, Dan. You do need a leader. Pac, I mean, USC can lead the Pac-12. You've had a lot of followers just kind of go along with whatever. You need someone that could come in and lead and uh, and think outside the box. I'm not saying USC should leave the Pac-12, but if you're not even willing to, it, that should be considered. You know, you have to look at it like we have a brand. At, if you're, I'm the USC athletic director. I say we have a brand that's very powerful. Are we why are we wasting it where we are? Could we join another conference? Could we do something with UCLA and go somewhere? Could we team up with Notre Dame on NBC? Whatever it is. There's options out there that you have to at least explore, and you need a strong leader that's willing to do that. And obviously, USC hasn't had strong leadership, you know, like I said, for 30 years there. Yeah, and and, and I, I know it's almost become a cliche because I say it so many times, but uh, uh, you can't have somebody running the USC athletic department, not only who doesn't have, know what the answers are, didn't know what the questions were. Yeah. You know, it was like, how do you come up with the right answers? You don't even know what the questions are. You need somebody who knows all the questions yeah. and has some ideas on where we're going to go uh, to figure these things out. And uh, honestly, I mean, you couldn't even talk about these things because there just wasn't a recognition that they were things. You know, it was like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. Uh, just, you know, yeah. it's got to change. Well, we got one last voicemail. So our buddy, Jason Longhorn Country, he called in uh, he had, uh, earlier and there was a lengthy voicemail about the game, like specific stuff, you know, that you would normally get. And then he reconsidered and he called back and I feel really bad, but I'll play this <laughs> for you guys. And uh, we need we need to help out our buddy, Jason. Here you go. Hey, Dan, Keely and Ryan. This is Jason from Longhorn Country. And I just want to let you guys know, uh, I was a little upset last night. so. Uh, if you probably shouldn't play that voicemail honestly on Tuesday and uh anyways I, I'm gonna take a break uh this I just cannot stay invested in this anymore um you know I'll keep my subscription to uscfootball.com because I like you guys but until the USC can win four games in a row including at least one road win I think I'm gonna stop calling in anyways like I said I'll keep my subscription because I love you guys you guys do great work but and then you know I'll keep watching the games but you know, beyond that, it's just, it's, it's not worth it anymore. Fine on Jason Long in country. Jason, no. Is that, <laughs> is that, I, mean, I mean, that's yeah. honest. Like people yeah. are, are like checking out. If Jason checks out, that's when you know. This is not good for you. Like this is not good for USC. Obviously. Now, I, I think mean, the word, I think the word Jason used, if people want to understand at USC, he used the word invested and that's a lot when you're invested in a program and you start getting the sense that you're invested more in the program than the people running the program are. That's got to stop. You've got to have people running the USC program who, who people like Jason and Longhorn country can identify with and say, they want it just as much as I do. And I don't think that comes through at all that the people running the USC program want it as much as Jason in Longhorn country wants it. And he's right. He's just, that's a, that's a great point. It's yeah. hard to be invested more than the people in the program are invested. Yeah. Even on tunnel vision. I mean, Taylor Mays is getting really upset and 
people were like noting, hey, he seems more upset than some of what we've seen <laughs> from other people. So let's just, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I don't think you see many of the old great players around is they can't stand it. They want it more for USC than they think the people at USC want it. And they're not on the sidelines. They're not at practice. You don't, or they come back like Taylor and then they start banging their head against the wall and say, what the hell's going on with these guys? Come on. You know, and you can't, can't disagree. Yeah. Well, <laughs> deep breath. Sorry, I guess I was. No, we both did it at the same time. We're gonna head out to practice. We feel bad. Sorry, Jason. That, that's that's all we want to see. You know, yeah. we do appreciate you. Thanks for for the. I guess it's the sympathy subscription that you're giving us. But we appreciate. We've it. definitely had that though. People that like, hey, we love you guys. We love the site. Your coverage is awesome. I just can't. I can't pay attention to it every day like I have been, and that's been common. And uh, and I I don't know what the, you know. What do you say? Um, but people have, it's like, there's a sense of apathy, I guess, there from a lot of the fans that just don't want to like, like Dan said, they don't want to invest into it anymore because they, they would spend a lot of time. They would get up every morning and tell me, Hey, I'll read your message board every morning. And then I read it at lunch and I, you know, and I find out what's going on. I watch all your videos. I read all your stories and like, it's not getting better for them. And even though they're getting great content, which I mean, like, we appreciate that they like it. They don't like what we're covering, you know, and. Obviously, we don't have control over that. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, Jason gave him a standard, though. I thought that was a good, uh, a good move. He said, "Win four straight games, including one on the road. Maybe I'll be back." I like that. That yeah. was right. That was, you know, the kind of thing. You know, we, you're not going game to game. I think that's another thing. Is is more of a sweeping. This is the direction we're going. Not this up one week, down the next, and, and back and forth. I, I, uh, again, you can't do that. You gotta have. This is who we are. You know, if you want to model yourself after Notre Dame in some ways, at least they are who they are. They know who they are. Their fans know what they're going to get. And you know, their fans could walk away and say, "Yeah, we're probably not as talented as USC, but we beat them, and we played hard, and we look like we're well coached." And USC fans should be able to expect that same kind of, you know take is you know we're playing hard we know who we are we get the most out of our talent and um, see what happens yeah all right well that's gonna wrap it up you know nice hour and a half uh show we got the good job though keely getting through all the questions because there was a lot you you know we uh excellent yeah there was a lot in there so thanks everyone for sending all the questions thanks for listening of course that's keely your dan weber i'm ryan abraham thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.